giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Chloe Sweden, the founder and CEO of Plants and Perks, a service for rewarding employees with sustainable perks. Chloe, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So you officially started Plants and Perks, at least according to your LinkedIn, uh, in July of 2020. But I'm sure like many entrepreneurs, you incubated the idea. The idea was in your head for longer than that. So where does the idea from Plants and Perks come from? And, and when did you start to, to noodle it? It's a really, really good question. I also think that the LinkedIn algorithm isn't 100% correct and it always seems to add time. <laughs> I always get this sort of like, oh my God, you've been doing this for like two years. I'm like, no, I'm sure it can't be. It can't, must be shorter than that. Yeah, so Plants and Perks. Plants and Perks originally started out life as the Green Shoot Institute, which I think if you Google us still, there's remnants of the Green Shoot Institute that exist. That is still our company holding name. And that was kind of, I guess, the first thought of the idea. I was at the time um, heading up commercial relationships at um, a large parenting platform in the UK. And we had started to go on our own plant-based journey. So thinking about cutting back on meat and dairy consumption. Mm -hmm. I guess that was sort of my own personal journey um, that started to make me as a parent and as a consumer and as a senior leader within business start to think about things outside of myself and my family and my business. And really, that was kind of the, the spark of thinking about how we as employers don't really do much to support employees on the kind of plant-based sustainability journey. That was the sort of the embryo of the idea. And that came from the fact that I had spent 20 years of my life in advertising, marketing, and then sort of like 10 years within that. Um, in talent um, as a former head of talent and culture, really thinking about how we embed talent and how we help employees and how culture is so important to businesses and how we get employees really to be the face of our brand, but we don't really do much to invest in people beyond the kind of um, traditional sort of benefits that exist, um, but also in terms of sort of training and things like that. That was kind of where sort of things were sort of coming together, sort of thinking about the future of work and thinking about how people go through these huge life moments and how do businesses really support them. So that was kind of the start. I won't give the whole thing, game away, but that was, I guess, the, the beginning of a kind of, hmm, there's something there. And, and I didn't really know what it was at the time. But yeah, it was, I guess it wasn't so much before I actually incorporated the company. I incorporated in September 2020. That's what it says on my um, company's house printout that I have on the wall, just to remind me of when that momentous day happened. But pretty quickly from sort of like coming up with an idea, I incorporated the business and just went, this is something I have to do. Yeah, the feeling of this is something I have to do is, is something that I've felt myself and that I hear from a lot of entrepreneurs and, and guests of the show. You were working at Mumsnet at the at the time. Mm. How did you start while also having another job? Not just having another job, running a large <laughs> sales team and yeah. homeschooling two children during a pandemic. Oh, homeschooling. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, and my son was kind of definitely diagnosed with um, 
with having additional needs at the time as well. Uh, I, I guess it was all of those things that kind of came together that made me realise. I mean, I had joined Mumsnet actually to head up Mumsnet's talent function, which was all about creating um, a flexible working product platform for parents and those looking for flexible um, jobs to kind of like bring them together in a kind of marketplace. Um, but Mumsnet wasn't going to actually continue to invest in that product. And I was I moved to a more commercial role. Mm-hmm. But I moved there to build a product. And that's what really triggered it for me. I realized in that moment when I'm homeschooling and I'm running a large sales team and I'm doing all of these things, that wasn't why I moved to this role. I actually moved because I, at the point in my career where I want to build something, that I have it in me to create something and build and connect people and, and do something bigger than myself and bigger than, than a day-to-day job. And so that itch was there. I was also, as part of that role, going out and speaking to heads of HR in large enterprise organizations and talking to them about what was troubling them. And funnily enough, looking after their working parents was not troubling them. <laughs> But sustainability came up a lot and sort of general well-being came up a lot. And so that was kind of, I guess, it started the sort of the percolation. But really, you know, I think, guess with most things, the idea came about in its most embryonic stage. And then I took it to market really quickly. I basically just like gave it a name and then just reached out on LinkedIn to anybody I knew and people I didn't know as well just literally reached out to loads of people. And I spoke to one person who I won't name her or the company, but probably one of the largest global companies in the world um, at a very senior level. And she was actually working out of the States. And Mm -hmm. she said to me, you know, this is new. (laughs) You need to do this. Nobody's doing this. We need this in our lives. And um, I haven't heard of anybody doing this in the States. You need to go and build this. And that was, I guess, the impetus to do it. And so I worked weekends. I actually was working four days a week um, at Mumsnet, but my fifth day I was working full time for Mumsnet, but mm-hmm. not being paid. And so I clawed back my fifth day where I wasn't being paid. And I worked all weekends and I worked all evenings and I just worked and worked and I haven't stopped until <laughs> until this conversation. <laughs> to work, actually work on it, did you start to gather a team, a, a group of people who were the first people that you brought on to help you? So my co-founder, um, Ellen, um, we were on the senior leadership team of a creative agency. I was the head of talent and culture. She was the head of operations. So we had worked side by side in this organization. And so we'd kept in touch and she had contacted me about some health issues. And we were talking about kind of cutting back on meat and dairy as, as one of the things that she could look at, given my own experiences with it. And that really bonded us. And because I am marketing sales creative, she is digital tech product. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of made sense in the beginning to bring her on. Um, and I just said to her, look, I, I'd really like you on this journey with me. And she resisted it for quite, <laughs> for quite some time. We're very different personality-wise, very, very different. I'm yes, she's no. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, we're very much yin and yang. Oh, but I think that that can be the perfect combination for a co-founder team. I know that I've needed that in the past for myself, someone who balances the risk-taking with reality uh, can be very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm not, I'm actually not a risk-taker, but I am a natural optimist. 
Yeah. And so yeah. like, I'll have a meeting and I'll be like, it's amazing. Like, like it's, it's solved all of our problems. And, and, and she'll just be like, no, it hasn't. What's changed? Nothing's changed. There's no contract, nothing signed. Like, yeah. which, you know, I think in the moment is really not helpful, but <laughs> is really helpful as we, as we grow the business. It really is a good balance. Like I bring all of that energy and drive to get us very quickly to the next level and she brings all of the understanding, all of the pauses, all of the rigor, mm-hmm. um, all of the data, you know, all the things that is just the complete opposite of me. So I brought her on pretty quickly. And then um, we had a bit of a full start around getting a CTO on board, but we knew we needed to build the product quickly. And in the end, we built the product ourselves on a no-code, low-code platform, just the two of us. And I recommend any entrepreneur to do that because you learn a lot. <laughs> So is that the reason? So you learning, because I think that that is super important, whether it be someone like yourself actually building the product or just being very close to it. When I've seen entrepreneurs get too far away from the product too soon, they end up regretting it later on Yeah, or building the wrong thing. Or building the wrong thing, or I do really believe in you've got to do every job in order to then understand who you need to hire and, and to then have an appreciation of that role. So obviously the product evolved very much and very quickly. We were we were very lucky that one of our um, first clients was Lacoste, um, who we launched to here in the UK with our MVP. But we also did some sort of like other paid consultancy work with Uber and with other clients as well. And then PopSockets came on in the States as well. We mm-hmm. weren't ready to yeah. launch in the States, but they really wanted us to. So we're like, you know, let's do it. <laughs> I noticed those three names on your website. And I do think that social, being able to have those testimonials there with names people recognize yeah. lends a lot of credibility. And they were the my product. first three clients. <laughs> yeah. like, so genuinely, did you seek my first that three out clients. or did it just happen? Like how, yeah, did, I mean, how did that work out? Obviously, my background is like commercial sales. So it's not something that I shy away from. I mean, it, it was connections. It was talking to people. And uh, we were recommended to PopSockets, um, which was amazing. They came on as an early investor as well, which was phenomenal. Again, you know, kind of having clients that love what you do so much that they want to invest is, is brilliant because you get to have some really interesting conversations and backers in your corner. But yeah, of course, like we've been quite strategic with the types of businesses that we've approached, but we are very lucky that we are attracting the right type of businesses as well, which is, you know, which is lovely. I mean, talk a little bit more about what Plants and Perks does, but um, the way in which we have evolved the product and evolved the types of clients that we're talking to is not an accident. And I think it goes back to the conversation we were just having about building the product yourself. You know, mm-hmm. really being in the weeds, I think is really important. Now, it's going to be a challenge for me as a founder moving forwards to make sure I'm extricating myself from the weeds as time goes on, although I'm pretty happy to step away when needs be. <laughs> but that knowing that and, and being able to talk to your clients and being really clear, well, this is what this client like, this is what's happening here, this is what's working well here, I think is really important. Like you've got to know your product, you've got to know your audience. You, you know, we, we've got two Client, actually, we have three clients technically. We have clients, we have employees, we have client employers, we have employees, and we also have perks partners. We have sustainable, um, we promote sustainable um, products and services on our platform. So we also have partners as well as our clients. And I think you've got to know them all really well. Now, 
I was a head of Tanzan Culture, so I know the, the employee piece quite well because mm-hmm. I was always advocating for the employee. I spent 20 years in advertising, so I ran client accounts. So I know how to like look after clients, I guess, from that perspective and work in large organizations. I also used to literally do the marketing for PepsiCo and Wrigley's and big brands. So I can do the partner piece quite well. And I think it's really important that you've done that and you've lived through it. Now, I've never built a tech product, but I did literally roll my sleeves up and get stuck in to build the MVP, mm-hmm. which was kind of the bit that I was missing. Now, I haven't built the app. Um, that is beyond me. <laughs> um, but luckily, we've got a brilliant team around us now, which we've built up since our last um, raise that's enabled us to get that talent in. And yeah, and it's just been an amazing team effort to get us to where we are now. That's great. I want to dig into more about what the product actually is. But you've talked, you've already no, alluded let's a couple keep it of mysterious. times. <laughs> <laughs> you've alluded a few times to the evolution. And, and one yeah. thing that's stuck out to me as you were talking about that is that going to the website now, there it's not specifically about eating less meat and dairy. It's, you're talking more about sustainability. I'm yes. sure that's still a component of it. 100%. But what drove that change? Oh my God. Like, about, a, well, two, about a two week period where we had an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think this is really interesting, I think, for our journey. And I think as us, as, as founders as well. So we ideologically always believed in the reduction of meat and dairy as the number one thing that you can do for personal and planetary health. That's it. Like that was it. Mm -hmm. We were all about eat plants, get perks. Like we encourage employees to cut back on their meat and dairy consumption and we reward them with plant-based perks. That was the product. That was the concept. Tested really well. People really bought into it. People liked that they were being rewarded with perks. They absolutely understood that it is unsustainable to, um, to consume meat and dairy in the way that we are moving forwards for the planet and also for personal health. So when we're having all these conversations, everyone was like, thumbs up, get it, love it, buy into it. It's all great. And then what was happening is that I I kind of got to a point where I was like, we've had all these really positive conversations, but no one's biting. Like Mm -hmm. everyone's sort of saying yes to me and then nothing. I'm actually really proud of us as a team for very, very quickly going and identifying the problem and fixing it. Because we could have stuck to our ideological guns and gone, no, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. But we are all about the reduction of meat and dairy consumption as the number one thing. But no one was telling us that it was that that was the problem. Mm -hmm. What we had to do is read between the lines because nobody would ever tell us that. But what they would say was, well, how would it land with a 58-year-old man working in our distribution center? Mm -hmm. And we're like, really well, why? But I had to understand what was coming behind that question. And what was coming behind the question was, I don't want to launch a benefit where I feel like we're judging somebody's life choices. Like That's not going to wash. So the people we were talking to were super keen on it. And when they took it up the line, they were essentially saying, well, there's this plant-based benefit, plants and perks. And I think that's where this sort of record scratched and, they, you know, and it didn't go any further. Mm-hmm. But no one was feeding this back to us. This we had to discover ourselves. And so we had this kind of existential crisis where we're like, well, we've always been about sustainability. Like, absolutely, the reduction of meat and dairy is all because it's unsustainable for us to consume meat and dairy and fish in the way that we are. So why don't we broaden ourselves out to to more? And we already held sustainable products and services on our platform anyway. 
it was just the language. It really mm-hmm. was. It wasn't such a, it wasn't actually as big a pivot as it sounded. Mm-hmm. It really was just softening the language. So we don't talk about plant-based, we talk about planet-friendly. And we just kind of expanded out some of the articles and content that we contained anyway. And that unblocked everything. <laughs> like genuinely overnight unblocked everything. So it became something that what we were hearing was that companies wanted to introduce a new green benefit. Um, and now they felt that they could because there mm-hmm. wasn't the kind of, and we always said that this is non-judgmental. This is completely supportive. Like, you know, this is very small changes that you could make. You don't have to, it's just introducing you to it. But now it, it makes sense to everybody. And I think, you know, we, we as a business just needed to go through that moment where we were like, is this the type of business that we want to be running? Is this the business that I want to be owning? And we were like, Absolutely, because this is still the, the, our mission. Actually, didn't change at all. Our mission is to help a million employees um, live healthier, more sustainable lives. Mm-hmm. That has not changed. And so, the fact that our mission hadn't changed, it was just some of the language needed to change to make it more palatable to a wider audience. That's fine. We we could live with that. Yeah, that's great. So now, I, I think, what does that actually mean in terms of what the product is? Companies sign up. Yep. And what do what do employees do? Yeah, so it's a really good question. So, um, so the other sort of big moment, I guess, inflection point that we had is that we introduced a freemium model. Mm-hmm. Um, that from a from a product perspective was quite a big thing. Um, because I started to realize in conversations as well, we were giving too much value away. And actually, some of the value that we were giving away, clients didn't necessarily want. Some clients really wanted it, and some clients didn't need it. And so we introduced three different products. So we introduced free. So we now have a completely free Plants and Perks app that any employer can take on for their employee base. And it will give them discounts off sustainable products and services. It will give them article content on how to live more sustainably, embrace more sustainable living. And it will give them planet-friendly recipes on essentially um, more sustainable, healthy um, ways to eat. And that's the kind of the, the core kind of like free product that we, we've created. And are you still making revenue on that through partner relationship? Yeah, absolutely. So although, you know, we're not about kind of like excess consumption, <laughs> um, what we are about is, you know, I think what we really realized is we're plants and perks. We are bang smack in the middle of a cost of living crisis. And actually, what we can do is level the playing field when it comes to green and sustainable products. There's kind of like this green tax that gets applied. And what we're trying to do is sort of very much look at sort of price parity. So what we talk about is it's harder than ever to make the most sensible choices when costs are spiraling all around us. And so what the reductions off planet-friendly products does is enables you to just try things that you might not have tried before because of cost. And it mitigates against that. So we do we do go into relationship with partners. Um, they can promote their their products through the platform, but there's also chances for employees to put their reviews and tell tell them what they think. So you know it is it isn't just set up for advertisers in that way at all. But what we found is there's an amazing thing, which is that brands need to connect with a new wider audience. They don't just want to talk to early adopters within the sustainability or plant based space. And we are talking to every man and every woman in large scale organizations. So it's actually quite difficult to access those people if you're these niche brands who may not even have listings necessarily in large retailers yet. Or if you do have distribution, it's really difficult to get the sell through. 
So we enable those partners to offer sampling, to offer freebies, to offer significant discounts and to offer uh, in-store redemptions as well. So we are offering quite significant route to market for um, sustainable and plant-based products and services. That's great. Okay. And so what is the second tier up? The second tier is um, plus. And what that gives you is we start to give employees um, plant points and you collect plant points. It's incredibly gamified. You can collect badges. Um, Every action you do basically has a reaction. So you can, when you read an article, you basically can answer some questions on the article and you'll be rewarded with points. You can rate a recipe. You can like a recipe, try a recipe. You can buy a product or service. You can um, also get a free, in the UK at the moment, um, you'll be able to get a free meal once a week, um, like a free lunch through one of our partners. Um, and loads of freebies as well. So the value is much more significant in the plus model. That's kind of our core offering. And we talk about, you know, rewarding employees with with sustainable perks. And during the time at the moment, employers are really looking for ways in which they can support their employees through the cost of living crisis. How can we give our employees free staff, interesting staff, whilst also helping them on the sustainability journey? And so therefore, this is something that genuinely really works for both employers and employees. So that's the plus model. One thing I, I noticed as, as you lay out the benefits that, that you get under this model, I'm surprised then by the, the per employee cost. It seemed very low to me when I, when I saw it. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, so that is a from price. And I do think I need to make it, I mean, do say it's from. And I think I do say there's a bit of an asterisk. I do think I need to potentially change it as well. Um, it's a good, good feedback because I think quite a few people say that. So that is for large scale employers. So we are talking to large retailers with 20, 30, 40,000 employees. So that is the cost that they would pay. It is a sliding scale back from that cost. Okay. But we are, I mean, we've purposely priced ourselves to be reasonable. We are a mission led company. And, you know, for any investors listening, don't worry, we are also um, <laughs> revenue generating. But for us, it's really important that actually we are an affordable benefit. Um, we're very aware of the, the costs on everyone. So for sure, that price is pretty, is pretty low. But um, we think that it still it represents quite good value, a very incredible value for the client. And, but it's something that, um, that makes sense for them to bring on. It should be a no-brainer. That's basically what we say. Like It's a no-brainer in terms of the, the amount of freebies that you're getting for your, your, um, your employee. Um, it's a, certainly a no-brainer in terms of the re- return on investment. Yeah. On the pro version, by the way, the added value mm-hmm. on the pro version is that it's, it's, it's fully ring-fenced for that organization. So it's fully branded. They get full account management. It looks like their platform, essentially. And employees can talk and access the information together. So it might be that, that Bob in IT in Denver has uploaded a photo of himself cycling to work and um, you know somebody else can comment on it. Somebody else has uploaded a curry recipe in Scotland and said someone else has gone. Well, I tried that recipe, but you know how was it? Did you put some? How much chili did you put in it? So people are kind of joining together and really creating that space to talk about sustainability in a much more accessible way. So that's the pro version, and also we're then building on sustainability metrics and also sustainability reporting. So we'll be able to talk about employees' own carbon footprint. And also how that scales up to the kind of overall company sustainability goals. Yeah, you mentioned that the you know the mission is to help one million employees on their sustainability journey. Yeah, can you tell me where you are uh, <laughs> along that? 
metric? Yeah. So, um, so look, the app, the app launches tomorrow. So yeah. <laughs> ask me in a couple of months. Um, we're really, actually, we're, we're genuinely... You've we're, been in private beta, I guess is the way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, basically with the MVP, we've been helping about kind of like a couple of thousand employees up mm-hmm. until this point. We got around 25,000, so about, about 30, 30 plus companies join our waiting list, um, mm-hmm. which was then around 25,000, 30,000 employees that represented. We've just um, confirmed that we're going to be launching with a very large retailer in the, in the UK as well. So that will then... Congratulations. Thank you. That will then double. So it will be about 50,000 employees that we'll be hitting this year. And then we are in talks with quite far down the line talks with quite a few other companies that would take us to potentially just under our target. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, the, the million employees is not like it's a target for 2022. It's like a, right. it's our ongoing right. a mission. Long-term vision, <laughs> it's a long-term right. vision. So we're, we're significantly further ahead than I thought we would be on that. Yeah. But it's, I mean, look, what we've said from the start is the million is, is it's a fairly arbitrary number, but what it is, is it's scale. So we're not here just to look after, you know, we're not here just to help kind of very, very small companies. We, we, we can now with our right. free product, which is great, but it gives us that scale. Um, it shows that we, as a business, want to be global, want to be talking to enterprise clients. And then the sort of like, um, and then sort of so helping them live healthier, more sustainable lives. You know, for us, it's both of those things. Like it, you can't just live, you know, a healthy life and you can't just live a sustainable life. It needs to be a life of, of purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the mission really keeps us true to those things. Now that you have funding, it's time to design, build, and ship the most impactful MVP that wows customers now and can scale in the future. ThoughtBot Liftoff brings you the most reliable, cross-functional team of product experts to mitigate risk and set you up for long-term success. As your trusted, experienced technical partner, we'll help launch your new product and guide you into a future-forward business that takes advantage of today's new technologies and agile best practices. Make the right decisions for tomorrow, today. Get in touch at thoughtbot.com slash liftoff. You mentioned you have essentially three client bases. You have the the employers, the employees, and the partners. Yeah. Which essentially means you, you have a multi-sided marketplace. Yes. And one of the challenges of any building any marketplace, especially the more sides you have, is bootstrapping it you know creating yes. a momentum the partners want to know yes. hey how many people are on the platform <laughs> that we're going to be bringing to yeah and in the early days that you don't have much to offer there so how have you made that work well so firstly um we don't see ourselves as a marketplace which we should <laughs> right <laughs> we should see ourselves as a marketplace secondly i learned all about building a marketplace because in 2010 i launched a dating app before there were apps, actually, it was a dating website and um, completely on my own. It was complete madness. And I totally did not understand the power of a network. I didn't understand the marketplace dynamic. I didn't understand that you needed buyers and you needed sellers. You needed, in this case, men seeking women and women seeking men. <laughs> like mm-hmm. You needed both sides of the equation and you needed volume on both sides straight out of the gate. Like, I just didn't get that. Yeah. I was like, build it and they will come. Right. Um, so I was fully burnt from that experience. So that was still ringing in my head, right? Mm-hmm. 
So I think what was important was building up, firstly, building up our partners. So it was really, really important to build up the number of partners that we had on the platform. And for them, it's a completely low, low risk strategy. It's like, come on the platform and offer discounts and people who are interested in sustainability. Like, that's really easy, right? We can do that. And then for the the companies, we've got everything beyond the partners. We still have loads and loads of values. We still have value in the articles. We still have value in the the gamification. We have value in the recipes. So there's still value, even if there wasn't value in the perks. But what we've done is we've been able to build up both sides. So actually, we've had, you know, we've got over 200 brands, which represents about 45,000 plus kind of individual discounts on the platform. And now we're building up the, um, the number of um, employees. Now we're able to revenue generate more off the partners because we've got the volume on the other side. You mentioned that you are primarily focused on the UK now, but you've had interest from the US yeah. and demand that you've not rejected. What does that look like for you now? And, and, and how do you balance that going forward? Yeah, I have, I have got quite a lot of interest from the States. And it's really hard not to be pulled over there. And we see a lot, a lot of interest from there. We have why, to, why are you holding back? Because we just don't have the team size at the moment. And we need to get the, the there's two things, really. Well, just, there's a number. There's, there's about 20 things. <laughs> I don't know if there's two things. There's like a million reasons. We need, to, we need to make sure that we've got the best product possible, right? That's mm. number one. We need to test in our, in our home market. We need to make sure that we've got the robust mechanic with the perks partners and with the um, with the employees. We need to get all of that working really well because the States is a completely different market because of the nature of the products and services. We're not on the ground there. So it's, it's mm-hmm. easier for us to have like really good relationships with perk partners now. Like I've got, there's going to be a conference on Wednesday in London. So I'm going to be meeting a lot of our partners there. Super easy. You know, it's like 20 minutes on the train for me. Harder to go to the States and make sure that we kind of have really robust relationships with partners there. Not impossible, just it would be, um, you know, time and effort to be able to to build it in the States. I think we'd be able to find the clients actually more easily um, or I guess quicker, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. Um, because I think there's a need in the States. Um, And then there's just cultural nuances. So we just need to make sure that all of our content is really... um, relevant culturally so we are so pop sockets we are with pop sockets in the states and i think they're quite fairly near you in um in boulder so we are already aware of some of those cultural nuances um and our editorial teams are quite good at making sure that we are um we're representing that so yeah so i think it's just about making sure that we do it we do it we do a good job of it um, yeah. the hard thing i think is actually launching across europe because of the language barrier and mm-hmm. because of the very different cultural nuances when it comes to sustainability, local government policy. Well, also expectations around employee benefits and, exactly. and how they work. Expectations around employee benefits um, and also um, attitudes to food as well, because obviously food mm. is still a part of what we do. Um, so all of those things actually makes Europe slightly harder. So I think, you know, for us, it would be a launch to the US before actually we would, we would go to continental Europe. But not, again, not impossible. Interestingly, our clients massively want us to be global quickly because they are all looking for global benefits. They right. want to be able to homogenize their benefits offerings globally. They do not want to have one thing being offered in the UK, something being offered in the States, especially as when it comes to benefits, things like pensions, things like um, healthcare are so different in those countries and they won't change. 
Like that, you know, like just mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, how many holiday days you guys have versus us, they can't make a level playing field on many things. So if they could have a level playing field when it comes to sustainable benefits, they would love to do that. So there is a yeah. real need driving us to go global very quickly. And look, going back right back to the conversation we had at the beginning, I'd do it tomorrow. I'd move, to, I'd move my family to the US and just start building it. But my very kind advisors are like, slow down. Right. <laughs> Get it right well, in the UK. Well, I think that is a good indicator that you do have a marketplace business because all of the the pressures around scaling are the same ones that marketplaces have. Yeah. And, and marketplace <laughs> right. businesses very often benefit from, in the early days, focusing on specific markets. Yeah. You're, no, you're 100% right. I think it's... I think I've had an epiphany on this <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> so I'm running a marketplace. <laughs> I want to come back to the actual tech of the product as as we wrap up here. Um, I'm super impressed that you used a low code platform to build the MVP yourself. Yep. And that has taken you through today. So how did you go about moving beyond that? <laughs> So we always knew we'd have to ditch it. So we were very aware that, and that's the beauty of doing an MVP, right? Which is, you know, mm-hmm. don't fall in love with it. So that was great because we knew we were going to ditch it. We didn't fall in love with it. So we had to go about it. So we got ourselves, we got a, a CTO on board that Ellen had worked with before. Um, we've got an amazing uh, UX UI designer and um, we got some devs and we, I, just, I don't know how it's, we, we just ran at it. We just said, right, what are we taking yeah. from the MVP? that we want to put into and and we knew it had to be an app really quickly um we actually weren't going to develop the app this year but then it was sort of you know the the demand there was was all for the app so we've we've gone app first so we just said like what's important from the mvp that we want to be taking here we knew that perks was going to be the first thing that we wanted to launch with because of the cost of living crisis and we wanted to make it really about perks which is why i know it sounds silly when when it's obvious to you that we're a marketplace it actually isn't that obvious to us because before Perks, none of those things are marketplace. Mm-hmm. All of the other products and services that we offer aren't marketplace. You mean the content and, and that kind of thing? The content, the gamification, yeah. the yeah. the the um, we've got a whole thing coming down the line all about kind of like how to calculate your carbon footprint. Like none mm-hmm. of that is marketplace. Right. But because we've, we've really lent heavily on the Perks, because we know that there's a massive need for that, I guess... That's why it's a surprise to me that we're a mm-hmm. marketplace. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we knew we wanted to get perks out first. So then we built the product with perks at the heart um, because that was testing really well. And then, yeah, and then we've just kind of literally just gone hell for leather, head down. The team have been in build mode. We've been in sell mode and creation mode. And yeah, we've, we've just gone really, really fast. Like it's not in our natures to sort of go slow on these things. Yeah, and we just we just need to be out there. People love what we're doing, and now we now it's the now it's the real test. Now it's literally employees now getting access to it, um, and that's the scary time. Has it been what you expected? Actually, you know, building custom software in terms of time and cost and that kind of thing, or has it been different than what you expected? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I guess over the years, I've had the opportunity to build products internally in companies. You're always in a, in a waiting list for other people that need other stuff, right? So in a way, it's been quicker because I'm an, mm. it's my team and we're not able to, you know, they've got nothing else to concentrate on except this. I, I'm really open with what I don't know. So I'm like, okay, could I do 
just out of interest, like how easy is it for us to switch off that function and launch this? Like, is it a week? Is it a month? Is it like a year? Mm-hmm. Like I just have no like idea on, on, on timings and scale on that. So I try and sort of to work that out quite quickly. But I think it's been quicker than I think um, I, I thought it might be. And if you've got an internal team, then it's cheaper. As soon as we started to look at external teams, it was like prohibitively expensive and no control. And I think we knew quite early on that we wanted to build it internally. How has it compared to the process of the using the low code <laughs> tool to get started? In a way, if I had an idea, it was up and live an hour later. Right. <laughs> so, and, you know, I guess there's much more pushback now. It's like, do you really need <laughs> that feature? And I'm like, yeah, you know, just do it. What's so difficult? So I guess I've had to put more rigor and thinking behind, you know, some of the features and functions that we we now have versus just sticking it up there. Um, I mean, look, we were way, we were really, really frustrated with low code. We were really frustrated with what it could do is so limited, really, in what we were trying to do. But it got us to a certain point. Like, I, I'll always right. be forever grateful to it. And my, my partner and I were able to completely um, tag team on it. So I would mm-hmm. do all of the front end, she'd do all the back end. You know, kind of like it, it worked. It worked really well from that perspective. But but we've got a great team now who are really who are really engaged and get what we're trying to do and trying to achieve. I guess I want everything yesterday. So as with most things, I'm getting updates going. This is broken. I'm having to turn this off for the launch. And I'm like, no, I want it there. Yeah. I want it in there. So on that note, wh- why do you have a specific launch date? We've got a client. We're launching to um, okay. <laughs> next week. <laughs> So yeah, we're so launching. You, you've made a commitment yeah. to launch for a particular client. We are. So we're launching. To hit that date. Yeah, we've got quite a lot of clients actually. We are. We've got. Um, yeah, we've got launches almost every day from next week. So this week is friends and family launch. So we need to get it out, get it tested. Yeah, and then it goes into the hands of real life users, which is scary. And uh, I wish you all the best with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Any I advice? really appreciate you taking the time. Well, what I was going to say is, this is a question I often like to ask, and I, I'm curious, before launch, is there something that that you wish you could have done differently or or realize sooner? I'm sure this, this question might be different post-launch. The answer to this question might be different post-launch. But from where you sit today, is there something that you wish you would have done differently? Oh, my God. I almost want to say everything and nothing. Do you know what I mean? You kind of <laughs> want to go, no, I've, you know, I don't right. want to regret anything. Everything's been a learning experience. So I, you know, there's nothing I would have done differently because it's all led me to this point. But then on the other hand, um, I think we've made the right decisions with the data that we've had. Mm-hmm. I think we need to, and there's stuff that we need to be doing much more rigorously now moving forwards, which is, you know, um, making sure that we are very, very data driven with what's coming back. Now we're in the hands of real users, you know, in a, in a meaningful way with the app. We need to be taking all of that feedback on and not just relying on kind of gut instinct with a lot of things. It needs to be much more data driven now that we've got the data coming in. Yeah. So I don't think that's a regret necessarily, because I think you've got to kind of go with your gut to get a product out the door because you could be completely hamstrung by research. Right. Yes. Um, and that would have taken us into a whole other territory. So I think, does that make sense? So it's whilst I'm not It does make sense. And like, you asked me for any advice that I have, and this is a very small piece of advice, but it's one thing that I've made the mistake of myself and, and, and seen many other teams do. If you want to seek metrics on something and you don't instrument it, you don't, you don't set up those metrics, then 
you don't have them <laughs> and so you realize, oh, we should have been tracking this click or that click or this flow. And then you put it in place once you realize that it's not there and you have to wait 30, 60 days in order to get the data. And that time feels terrible Yeah. Um, while you're waiting for that data to accrue. And so my general advice is to instrument basically everything. Instrument as much as possible, even if you think you're not going to need it. Track yeah. as many clicks as possible in the app and so that you can really then say, oh, we didn't know we wanted to track this flow. And you already have the data where you can piece it together instead of waiting. Yeah, 100%. We So we were challenged by, so we're backed by Sustainable Ventures um, mm-hmm. here on, on, on the Accelerator program. And we were challenged by them to make sure that we've got all of our KPI metrics in place for the product. Because of course, we've just been head down building it. And like, actually, it was a really, it was a great moment where it's kind of like, but how many points do you want your users <laughs> to collect in a day? Like maybe there's an upper limit that you want which we hadn't really thought about. Like, I don't know, like, we just want them to collect points. Like, you know, we want them to live their best life. And so in setting the KPIs, we've also had to set what we're measuring. But it was like two pages long. <laughs> like, so, like so many things that we're trying to, what our KPIs are. And I think you can also, I think a learning is that, you know, maybe we need to be a little bit more focused with also what we're trying to trying to measure and also what we're, we're trying to um, to see. Because we, again, can't, focus on everything we can't you know we can't update and upgrade and and iterate absolutely everything um as a priority you know what's going to shift the dial the most what's going to what's going to have the biggest impact yes we can change the color of that or we can make that button bigger but actually if that's not going to lead to the kpi that we're trying to measure then actually there's no point so yeah so i think that's been a, a learning as well i mean there's so many thousand billion learnings on this whole journey yeah, I could write a book. I don't think anyone read it, but I would. I could definitely <laughs> write it, and I don't have time to write it. If yeah. I had time to write it, and if anyone wants to read it, uh, I'll do it. Um, okay, well, maybe a few years from now, you can you can write that book. Yeah. And um, Chloe, thank you so much for joining the show and for telling us all about your journey. I really wish you and Plants and Perks the best over these important next couple of months. Thank you. We're raising, by the way. We're just about to go into our. Um, our seed round. So, um, so yeah. Seed so, round. Yeah. Perfect. So, uh, so yeah, I know, perfect for plants and birds. <laughs> yes. That's the next inflection point. Whilst obviously also launching an app, um, you don't, we don't do things by halves. So that will be the next learning journey. If folks want to find out more, uh, to follow along with you, to get in touch with the company, where are all the different places that they can do that? Don't look at the website because um, we're in the process of updating <laughs> that. <laughs> And frankly, now I'm going to change the uh, pricing after this conversation. Um, but yeah, no, don't do that. Just email me. It's the easiest way. Or, or find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's probably the number one way. Or email Chloe at plantsandperks.com. Um, I love, literally, I love hearing feedback, negative, positive, anything. I love having conversations. I love doing partnerships. I love helping people on their journeys. Just reach out. Wonderful. And you can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode along with a complete transcript at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. 
Let's make your product and team a success.